podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. There's more to working from home than emails. So you need Wi-Fi with reliable speed, the most in-home coverage, and built-in security. You need Xfinity XFi. That's simple, easy, awesome. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. For the perfect last-minute gift, check out Spa Finder. With Spa Finder, send a relaxing spa treatment straight to their inbox without leaving the house. Gift cards can be redeemed in-store at thousands of spas and salons nationwide or online at the Spa Finder Wellness Shop. Spa Finder gift cards contain no fees and never expire, making it a perfect gift you can't go wrong with. Go to spafinder.com slash podcast15 to save 15% or enter the promo code podcast15 at checkout. This is okay. Finally waited. Erickson, low. Great ball into the middle. What a save by Heaton. Tonight's Davison Sanchez, Lucas Moura. And belted into the net. Brilliant goal. On debut, Tungay Ondombele has scored the equaliser for Spurs. Lucas Moura clips it. A great goal! Stephen Bergwijn has arrived in North London! That is absolutely incredible on debut! Oh yay! What a finish for 3-2 from Serge Aurier. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Touchline Hotspurs sort of channel under the parent Touchline Fracas. Have I said that right, Fracas, Fracas? I'm not sure how you, I'm not sure what's the... Correct. Frac- 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 we'll let you off. We'll let you off. <laughs> it's my first time hosting, um, but I'm sure I'll take it in my stride. Um, I've got a lovely sort of cast or supporting cast with me today. Um, we've got a special guest as well, but I'm going to start with some of the usual suspects. So, Sai, I'm coming over to you. Got a nice backdrop in your background today. Mm-hmm. How you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. Yeah. Uh, sleep deprivation is slightly wearing off. Uh, month into newborn life and that, so yeah, getting there, getting there. Yeah, yeah. Um, Ohio, how you doing? Down calm, man. Been a couple of days in London and that from uh, from Liverpool. Um, my background isn't as cool as everyone else's. It's just it's just, it's just a drip <laughs> or, or lack thereof. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's drip, yeah. Yeah, baby. Okay, okay. Uh, Era, how you doing? I'm good, you know. Had a good week, man. Just been relaxing, taking in the documentary and that. Yeah? Okay, yes. cool. We're going to be talking about that in detail, of course. Mm. And, um, Owen, how are you doing? Good, bro. Thank you very much. I'm uh, trying to fight the sleep deprivation with this one. <laughs> okay, brilliant. And obviously, that leaves me with our special guest today, uh, Sky Sports' very own uh, Michael Bridge. How are you doing, Mike? Yeah, good. Thanks, Toby. Good to see you, everyone. Cheers. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I, I, 
correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Michael, Michael, but um, I'm pretty sure the last time we spoke, you mentioned that you had a newborn as well, no? Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's yeah. why I, I remember um, <laughs> Sai was mentioning about his newborn as well, so I guess you two could sort of bond on, yeah. on the rigging. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Keep all around them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, speaking of things that uh, cause lack of sleep, let's get into sort of Tottenham. <laughs> let's get into Tottenham. So, nice. I mean, <laughs> I mean, of course, um, unless you've been living under a rock, um, you, you, you will have seen that um, the All or Nothing documentary has obviously been released um, earlier on this week on a Monday. Although I suppose I should probably call it the Jose or Nothing documentary, to be honest, because mm-hmm. it's all about one special man. But anyway, um, I think there's no better place for us than to start with the sort of All or Nothing chat. So I just wanted to go around the room and sort of get some general thoughts on what you've sort of taken away um, from the first three episodes to have been released. So I'm going to start with you, Owen. What's your thoughts? Just on the documentary overall. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think it um, just showed overall a very good side of Jose Mourinho's, or sometimes I like to call him daddy's man management. Um, <laughs> it was a very good mix. Like a lot of people would talk about him in other clubs and talk about how harsh he is and, how he doesn't really get players' mentalities, but he uh, showed a good range, like not just being harsh with Aurier. I thought it was quite harsh to call him out in front of the whole changing room, but okay. it was funny. He is box office as well, but him putting an arm around Eric Dier and uh, and Deli Ali was um, a particular highlight for me. Fair enough. I think um, there's a point you mentioned about the um, the bit about uh, Serge Aurier. And it was just like, because obviously from, from the outside looking in, everyone thinks that Jose Mourinho really, really rates this guy. And I'm sure to a certain extent, he probably sees some qualities in Aurea, but it's good that he at, at least acknowledges what we can see from the outside. And he's like, I'm worried for you when, you go, <laughs> when you're when you my marker that you're going to give away a stupid penalty. So, I mean, um, Ahaya, what were your thoughts on the, on the doc? What, yeah, were your, no, what were your big takeaways? Uh, so yeah, I've been enjoying it. I actually caught a bit of the. My housemates have been watching the City one, so I caught a bit of the City one as well, just for that comparatively. Um, I don't know if it's a Jose propaganda vibe or if it's purposefully been detailed to just sort of show this side of him, because you know normally wherever anywhere a new manager goes, you do get that new manager bounce naturally. I want to see all or nothing in Jose season three. To be honest, that's what I really want to see where the, where, the, where the truth comes out. So the real balance. So the real balance is in that right era. The special one returns. <laughs> so, so era. Speaking on the special one as well. So, as I as I sort of alluded to at the start, it seems like it's very sort of like Jose heavy, and I made a point about it. And when we were sort of dropping sort of like our first sort of initial thoughts, but mm. I think this is probably for you and Sai as well. Do you feel like? the club could have shown a bit more respect to Pochettino with regards to some, with regards to airtime on the, on the, on the whole sort of series as a whole, or do you think it was sort of like their moral obligation to sort of like limit his camera time to as much as possible and obviously pay more respect to sort of like the, the current um, gaffer? You know, I think um, going into this, I was expecting to see, um, I guess, what we would call now Poch's downfall looking back. Um, and I wanted to see what happened. But I mean, actually watching the documentary, I think they handled it well. They handled it professionally. Like, um, they showed him, I thought they did show him respect. Like, it could have been a lot worse. Um, they could have showed a lot, a lot 
more of the bad moments if they wanted to, I, I would assume. So I think they showed him respect. Um, as well, I think Levy came across quite well as, as well. I think he comes across like, um, he looks like, he sounds like he cares about what people think about him, the fans. Definitely Mourinho thinks of him as well. He definitely does. Yeah, <laughs> yeah man, I think, I think he comes across, I think Levy comes across really, really well in the documentary. And um, do you know what? I don't think anybody's come across badly so far, man. I'm not trying to sit on the fence or anything, but I think it's, it's early days. We've only seen three episodes, but I think they've, it's, it's, everybody's come across in a good light so far. Sai, what's your what's your sort of like big takeaways then? Give us something. Uh, I know you're itching to talk. I think I think one of one of one of my favourite bits was when uh, Sacramento comes in with the player profiles and he <laughs> mentions that Sizoko is like one of the big personalities in the dressing room, and Mourinho's face just sort of switch. <laughs> He's like shit. Um, and then the obvious mention of Vatongan being the warrior and Kane being the silent leader, uh, which leads me to the funniest point. It's his team talks. Uh, divided <laughs> opinion, to say the least. Uh, they're a little bit forced. They're risky, you know. I'm not sure if I'd be G'd up uh, with, the, with the random F-bombs thrown in every, every other sentence. But, I mean, whatever floats his boat, I guess. <laughs> okay. Uh, Michael, um, so just obviously just mm. your general thoughts on the documentary. I'm not sure if you've watched all the episodes yet. Um, what's your what's your views? What's your like big takeaways? What has your sort of opinion on Mourinho changed after watching it? Has your opinion on Levy changed after watching it? I think we do have to remember one thing that they know they're attached to a camera and they know a camera's always there. Um, uh, you're absolutely right, all of you, when you say about the Mourinho show, but I think he's he's very good at it. Um, I think he shows a warmer side. I think he's a lot more friendly now. Um, I think he also appreciates that. Let's not forget when he got the job, it's probably the last chance of a top six club in the Premier League. So he embraces it as well. And there's a nice shot where he sort of grabs the shirt and he sort of like kisses it. Now, maybe that is a bit of, you know, I've got a camera here, but I do genuinely believe he loves being here and he really appreciates being here. You know, like when Poch got sacked, he's thinking, wow, I'm, I'm back in football because, you know, he was working at Sky at the time, working on Super Sunday. So, you know, I do think he acknowledges that this is a massive, massive job for him as well. Because if he failed again, then I don't know really know where he goes in England anymore, you know. So I took that from it. Uh, I'd like to see, apparently episode five is really good. So I'm, I'm, I'm up to date like you. I've only seen as much as you guys have. Apparently episode five is very good. There's a lot of transfer negotiations. Oh, I took from it as well that, I got told many moons ago that he tried to buy Dyer when he was Man United manager. And that, I think, has, has been very evident yeah. in, in the series. Um, I, like, I liked the bits where you can see that they have absolutely no idea how to the, handle the Ericsson situation. Because <laughs> I, along with other journalists, were like, what's going on? You know, there, there wasn't any concrete interest. Um, and, it, and it shows this on the documentary that they're really stuck with what to do when Levy says, do you reckon you could ask him again or give him another? It's yeah. amazing for such a key player in this team that that, that gets left to the last minute. Yeah. I'd say the best from a TV perspective, the, the best shot of the, of, of the series so far is the 60 second silence of Son when he's sent off. Of He's probably the loneliest man in the football ground then. Yeah. You know, he feels that he's, he knows deep down, like we can all moan at the time, like, 
soft red, but he knows deep down he's cocked up. And the wide shot of him just sitting there, I thought was really good. Um, I think in long term, I think, I think Spurs can maybe do something with Amazon as the, the company. Mm. So I don't think this is even maybe the last time we'll, we'll see Spurs do a, a series on this. There's just something I've got this feeling that there's going to be some kind of partnership down the line. Um, that's no, that's no info. It's just, just a view I've got. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's been a solid start. A solid, I wouldn't say I'm bowled over, you know, I, I'm not like, Oh my God, I never knew that. But I reckon it could, it will get even better. I think they've probably cut a lot of the pop stuff out because for legal reasons. Um, cause I was, <laughs> I was in it for the October edition cause I was being, I was doing a live. I think it was Olympiacos at home. No. It was one of the games at home. It might have been, actually, I can't even remember. Probably now. Red Star. If it was a Red home. Star, yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, I was doing a live and a cameraman came over and said, oh, really sorry, I was filming you about, without, without asking you, you know, we're, we're Amazon, would you mind being in it? I was like, yeah, no, no problem. And it was a Pochettino press conference I was in and they were sort of looking at me, but I obviously got cut out from it from that episode, but they must have cut a load out from Poch. Mm. And I'm assuming it's probably a legal thing when he left. Um, because I don't know about you boys, but I'd love to have, have seen more of Poch really? after the 7-2, the Brighton 3-0. You know, there were so many things I wanted to see. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, as I say, I think it's very solid first few episodes. I think maybe I'm more interested in it because of we support Tottenham. I don't think it's like, I don't know if you guys watched the Southampton, uh, sorry, the Sunderland one. You're like, Wow, you know, this kind of, good. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Netflix struck gold. They weren't supposed to get relegated. They were supposed to go back <laughs> up, not go down. So, yeah, solid first three episodes. <laughs> yeah, I think um, <clears throat> one thing you mentioned as well, which I wanted us to all discuss is um, sort of the villain, the sort of like the villainy around sort of Ericsson, because a lot of our fan base sort of perceive him to be this traitor who left us in... Um, and left like a bit of taste in everyone's mouth. But as we clearly saw in the documentary, one, the club wanted to keep him, and two, Daniel Levy clearly alluded to the fact that um, they can't speak to him. He was saying that everything went through his agent. And it, for me, it sort of struck a nerve to me as to how powerful football agents are now in, in, in this business. And it, it, was, it was crazy because Ericsson was the one that was making the comments in the summer, but obviously the club are trying to negotiate deals with him. And Levy, the biggest, sort of the most important man at our club, who literally signs off on all the deals, he's saying he can't even get through to him because it's all going through his agent. It's a weird one. But I think it's a worrying direction where football's, football's heading, to be honest. But I just wanted to, to throw that out there. I, I, I agree that, you know, to, to an extent, I think certain agents have a little bit too much power in the game and that is direction going. But what I will say with Ericsson, I do hope a couple of the try not to swear here because we have a professional in our midst. Um, uh, you know, a couple of the men who were like, you know, F off Ericsson towards the end of the season, you know, Tobes, I think you've been one of the bigger advocates of let's not forget what he did prior to. And even even in this season just gone or the half season just gone where, you know, it was it was getting a bit peak, it was getting a bit tight and we still had to bring him on to sort of, to get us going, to get us more fluid in the final third. I think Jose literally said it like, when Ericsson isn't there, yeah, we do look a little bit more structured and everyone's pressing as one, but there isn't, that spark is just missing. You know, whether he's looking a bit, you know, cumbersome and laborious, you know, if he still gets the ball, something can still happen. There were times where he would just come on and we just look a tiny bit more, you know, intricate. So I think 
it was a nice. I mean, for me personally, like, I was obviously upset with the way he, I say upset, like he's my like he's my guy. But I was a bit annoyed at <laughs> the way guy, he left. Guy. He's your guy as well. Come on, <laughs> oh, yeah, he's my guy. <laughs> but, but obviously, like, I, I think it was it was a bit nicer to see where it's like he was just genuinely like, look, I've been honest. I said what I want to say, and I think there has to be some sort of leeway. Like I think a lot of people forget that like, these these guys aren't people that you just press buttons on PS4 they're not man that you just press buttons on FM, FM20 like these these are human beings like he's been there for so long he's given so much psychologically it's just it's just not going to hit the same do you know what I mean there's only so you can think to yourself yes I'm going to give everything but if your heart genuinely isn't in it through no fault of your own like there's only so much you can ask of you and if you're still to a degree pulling out the goods when, we, when you pull off the bench like I think it's only fair that everyone's like you know what you know, just just do what you got to do. You can go like farewell, sort of thing. Not the way a certain section of the fan base sent him off, basically. So that's what I liked. It just gave Ericsson that sort of chance to say a little bit more of his piece, should we say? Yeah, I think um, another point as well that I just wanted to sort of go around the sort of the, the room on before we move on was just um, it seems like our two of our most senior players in Harry Kane and Yamba Tongan, just the epitome of professionals. Like Yamba Tongan, you could see that like. He loves the club through and through, and I must I must say I know he I know he needed to leave because he obviously he's not at the level that we need anymore. But I really felt sad watching the scenes where he's talking about Spurs, how long he's been here, how his kids are settled here, and and how he needs to sort of tussle and turn with that decision on whether he's going to leave. Obviously, he's left us eventually now, but it just him and watching Harry Kane speaking during some of like the team debriefs, Harry Kane in training and stuff like they're just the ultimate professionals. It's, it was just really good to see. And I think that's where I could sort of take some, a lot of positives out of the documentary. And I, all I can hope for is that we see a lot more in-depth um, analysis on some of these players and the inner workings of our club over the next couple of episodes. So um, before I move on, does anyone else have anything they wanted to say? No? Okay. I think, uh, I think you might, Hi makes a great point on Ericsson. I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a massive fan of his. I, you know, he's given a huge chunk of his career to Spurs and I don't think it's necessarily his fault. You know, you can't blame someone for wanting a new challenge. Um, look, I get it, right? I'm, a lot of fans didn't like his attitude in the last few months and they think he didn't try 110%. And I, I acknowledge that, you know, he shouldn't, shouldn't have been there and it should, he should have left in the summer or, or before that. I, t- I totally agree with that. But my point is for now for Tottenham Hotspur is they need to replace his goals and his assists. I don't think people realise just how much Spurs missed him and they'll miss him going forward as well. You know, he was second to David Silva in the goals, the assists, the key passes in everything. And Spurs need to get that back. And I don't think it's necessarily a change of style. Now, you see what Bruno Fernandes... I mean, I know he's got a lot of penalties, don't get me wrong, but what Bruno Fernandes did when he joined United... You know, Spurs need that kind of... It's a shame we didn't sign the Van der Beek, you know, someone like that. But we, I just think Spurs lack a creator, someone who can spot a pass quicker than most. Mm. At the moment, I just feel we've got pace, but not enough guile. And that's where I think we'll miss Ericsson. Yeah, and um, funnily enough, the player that we're about to sort of touch on next, on our sort of next talking point, is a player who, to a certain extent, could fill that void. But it's just a case of what, sort of the general opinion is of him right now and whether the deal will be possible. So it's the <laughs> one man who gets linked with us 
every single summer without fail. He's just been subbed off, by the way. Oh, has he? <laughs> <laughs> For Wales. Yeah. It's ridiculous. He gets, he gets linked with us every single window, January, summer without fail, and it never materialises. So it's the much maligned sort of Gareth Bell. We all saw his interview the other day with, um, I think it was either, I can't remember what newspaper it was, where he basically said that Madrid are holding him at gunpoint, really. Like, they vetoing every single move that's coming in. So I wanted to get the general thoughts on Gareth Bell. Um, hypothetically speaking, would you lot take Gareth Bell if a deal was indeed possible? No. <laughs> I... No, you got it, I just think he's, um, he's got to a point. I do think Real Madrid would potentially be open to doing a similar deal that Manchester United did with Alexis Sanchez with the loan move to Inter. Whether it be permanent or not afterwards would be another thing. But um, it's been my strong opinion for a couple of years now where he's unfortunately picked up a few of these injuries which um, I feel have made him lose that explosiveness in his game which I thought was probably his biggest weapon. And seeing that and his age being 31 now, I don't like writing off older players too much, but with the injury history, yeah, I I don't fancy it, to be honest. Ero, you wanted to say something? I was going to say, hypothetically speaking, like if we're not talking from like a, fi- a financial kind of point of view, um, I guess... I think Bale could be that kind of player who could bring that spark that we were talking about that we've lost with um, Ericsson, with the gap for the hole that Ericsson's left. I know it would be very short term, uh, especially like with the age and uh, the, inju- the injury history as well. But I mean, somebody who has that kind of experience, somebody who has that kind of mentality being in the dressing room as well, with those kind of players, I think it just works. I think it, it, it helps to bring that balance to the side. So that's another thing that I wanted to talk about this episode as well. Mourinho, he um, put a lot of emphasis on us being like a nice side, if you get what I mean. Yeah. And I think Bell is somebody as well who could come and bring that edge. Like, um, I think Real Madrid have made things very hard for him for, and he hasn't, been, he hasn't played like very nice, as you'd say, like... Um, was it that he said uh, Wells, Wells Golf Madrid, <laughs> that kind of stuff? So yeah, I, I just think order. he could bring yeah in that order. He could bring he could bring that kind of mentality to the club, man. And I just think it's something that's we're lacking just a little bit of it at the moment. I think we had it a, a couple of years ago, and it just seems to be up in the air at the moment. I know, I know, I said hypothetical, but um, I think the one thing that we are lacking is some. Chinese yuan or remendi or whatever their currency is called. We don't have the dinero for Gareth Bell. We don't have, we don't have the dosh. We, we don't have the dosh. This is a guy that was getting offered. Sorry, this is a guy that was getting offered 1.2 million a week from an unnamed Chinese Super League club a couple months back. I know, obviously, like you said, Owen, there is a possibility that Real Madrid would be willing to possibly let him go, maybe on like reduced terms. But even that, even if that's the case. What's to say that we could offer him the best possible deal and best possible package? This is why we need, we need Michael's punch. We need Michael's superstitions to come through because we need the pesos from Jeff Bezos. <laughs> that is what we need. The Bezos pesos. If we get them, 
that they can run. But until then, it is not happening. And that is my Gareth Bell take finished. I'm going on mute. <laughs> <laughs> Straight mute. All right, so, Si and uh, Michael, I'm coming to you lot next. What's your... So, Si, do you think that, like, he has a place in this team? Or do you think that the team would have to sort of readjust to... Um, to a sort of like a new sort of setup just to accommodate him because we were talking about this off air about how Mourinho sort of started towards the end of the season how he sort of started to get the balance right would the signing of Gareth Bell be sort of like a fitting into that sort of system straight away or is it like we have to sort of rejig if you asked me this maybe two years ago a year ago even I would have said absolutely not because we would have had to adjust to accommodate his style of play whereas now with Mourinho playing quite a, a rigid uh, type of system in terms of you have your banks of more defensive players and then you have the guys who are responsible to create and burst forward and score, score the goals. I think Bell fits into that. Um, there would be ways to protect him as well with the way that we play our right backs. Um, so I think, I think it's more feasible from a style of play than it was previously. Uh, um, but again, the money is a massive stumbling block. Okay, Michael, we need some of your sort of like inside insider info here. Like, what are the possibilities of of us actually signing Gareth Bell? Because we hear it on the news, we hear it from all sorts of sources. <clears throat> the bookies keep slashing the odds, but are you hearing any inner rumblings? None, zilch, none <laughs> at all. I, I, I hate being that guy. But, I'm happy you said this because I keep telling this to my friends that like I don't think it's going to happen and they don't want to believe me. The thing is, Tobes, it, it will need uh, Real Madrid to wipe off any fee. Mass, ma- yeah, that's a massive scenario. So that's one. And, that, and then it needs Gareth Bale to chop his wages by 70%. That's two things I cannot see. Um, what triggered this was that his interview gave to Sky yesterday to my colleague Geraint that He's not finished. He's still got the enthusiasm. Uh, he wouldn't rule out playing in the Premier League. Point is, is that there's so many obstacles to get over before we could even consider signing Gareth Bale. Yeah. I, I just don't know. Talk about a loan package, for example. How much would the loan fee be? How much would we contribute to Bale's wages? I can't see Real Madrid saying, go on, well, you give us half. Because that contract they gave Bale, was so astronomical. It kind of rules Bale out. I mean, look at look at it last season. He was close to joining a Chinese club. Because they were the only country. Or- There's more to working from home than emails. So you need Wi-Fi with reliable speed, the most in-home coverage, and built-in security. You need Xfinity XFi. That's simple, easy, awesome. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. There's more to working from home than emails. So you need Wi-Fi with reliable speed, the most in-home coverage, and built-in security. You need Xfinity XFi. That's simple, easy, awesome. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. ...region that were prepared to pay that sort of money. I don't think we'd even be talking about it if Bale didn't sort of give us a kind of hint yesterday that he'd be up for doing it. It would take so many obstacles for even contemplate it. If Spurs were offered something, this is the biggest if of all time, but if Spurs were offered some kind of financial package that they could work under, then yeah, 100% they might consider it. But I can't see that happening. So that's why I can't see it. 
I've heard no grumblings. I've heard no inquiries, nothing. There hasn't been. Um, I've always ruled it out. And the thing is with bookies odds, people get excited because those markets are very, um, they're very quiet, to be honest. You think like everyone bets on a horse race one Saturday afternoon. That's what moves the markets. But the manager markets and the player transfer markets only usually move when, I don't know, Gary from Romford puts £100. He's just heard bail saying he wants to play in the Premier League. And then a, a bookie will just sort of mark it up a bit different. Yeah. But ultimately, there's nothing in it. So if you're asking me now, I can't see it happening in a million years. Would I like it? Yeah. If, if it's, yeah, I would. I just can't see it at the moment. I, I genuinely cannot see it because of the financial, uh, you know, the, just the side we've got, the problem we've got at the moment. Yeah, well, 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 well explained, and I fully agree as well. And I think, I think, I think everyone here, maybe not so much Owen, um, but I think everyone here would agree that if Gareth Bell was offered, a, if there was, a, if there was a possibility to get him back to the club, we would all take him. But I do respect Owen's opinion because a lot of Spurs fans will ignore or turn blind to the fact that the Gareth Bell that we see today isn't the same Gareth Bell that we saw even two years ago, or let alone the Gareth Bale that left Tottenham. Like, this is a Gareth Bale that gets injured every season. This is a Gareth Bale that, even when he is fit and he's playing, yes, he can still win you a match, but in terms of the in-game consistency, in-game performances, it's not the same Gareth Bale. So, essentially, going and spending north of whatever, 400, 500k on a guy who's most likely going to miss at least a third of the season, at least, and a player who's getting older, he's 31 years old. I just personally think as good as Gareth Bell is, and as much as I'd want him at the club, there are cheaper alternatives that could probably give you the productivity that he could give you right now. That's just my general opinion. I don't know what you lot think on that. I think certain certain Spurs fans, like, and I, I don't know about how I actually feel about the Bell thing, but you know, you know the ones in school, yeah, there was that girl that peaked at like 18 when you're in upper sixth form. She was, she was the pinnacle, yeah? And then yeah. you get to 24 and then, she, and then she wasn't feeding you back then. And then you get to 24, 25, she pops up on Instagram, you're like, wait, this isn't who I remember you were, you know? Like, that, could be, that could be a similar scenario, so we've got to be a bit careful, you know what I mean? We've got to be careful. <laughs> Great analogy. <laughs> and it's so true as well. It's so true. But I think that's pretty much it for the for, for the Gareth Bell chat. I think we're unanimous in the fact that we would take him back. But I think the resources that we need to have to even acquire a player on that type of money just makes the deal financially impossible for us right now. But here's to hoping anyway. Um, one player who is actually at our club who's been rumoured to be on his way out... Um, uh, Tongi and Dombele. So, uh, Michael, we spoke about this when you came on our pod a, a few uh, a few months back, and obviously your colleague um, Darmesh, he came out. Uh, I think it was yesterday afternoon, and he sort of flat out uh, refuted. He re- he sort of flat out rejected all the sort of rumours that um, were trying to sell him. Um, his sources, I'm not sure if they're your sources as well. I assume they're the same sources, but he was telling us that um, from what he's hearing that he's gonna be given another chance to prove himself this upcoming season. But, of course, all the, all the sort of, like, rumours and whatnot sort of started off from Ian Ladyman's article from the Daily Mail as well. So, 
Whatever happens with Ndombele this summer, there's no smoke without fire, in my opinion. Whilst I do believe he's not going to lead this summer, there are clearly some, some issues behind the scenes that we're not privy to as well. So I just wanted to get sort of like your renewed view on um, Ndombele. Like, where do, you, where do you stand with him? Like, do you think the club should be actively looking to sell him this summer and recoup some of the money that we've made or, or, or we give him another chance? This is my personal view on the situation. I, I, I personally think it's very straightforward. Tottenham know that they won't be able to get the money back they paid for him. So in their eyes, let's give him a second season. So the directive is publicly from Tottenham to tell the likes of Darmish and myself and others is that he's not for sale because they've not had or will receive a bid anywhere near that they'd believe to be acceptable. So publicly, I think they'll come out and tell us and colleagues of mine and Alistair and other people that, no, he's part of our plans. Now, other journalists might say that Ndombele's future lies elsewhere, and that might come from Ndombele's people. Um, I just think it's a transfer fee issue, and the situation we've got is that Spurs will not sell. Well, they wouldn't want to make a big loss in someone they invested so much time and money into last season. Um, I also believe that probably Jose would, would take the money and, and reinvest it elsewhere. I, I get the impression he would. Um, I would like to see him... I, have another season uh, and then if these injuries keep coming and the sluggishness and just if it doesn't work out then yeah go for it move on but I've just got this feeling I think I might have said this to you before but I just have this feeling slash fear if Spurs sold him now or loaned him which wouldn't happen but hypothetically he would be an absolute baller somewhere else yep. mm. and I just have the feeling that Spurs just need to persevere we've persevered with other players for a lot longer we have name him, name I might have to interview him at some point, so but we can you, you can you can all you can all uh, make your assumptions, yes, but, yes. But, but 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 look, I mean, automatically, right? So, I was talking about not getting a creator earlier, he's a great passer of the ball, get him fit, let's put him in that 10, let's push him forward a little bit, you know, got Hoybier now, you know, let's try and and really mold him in that middle. But if he's not going to be fit, if he's going to be unfit, if he's not going to track back, then we will ask serious questions in January and moving on. But I think now is the time we're not going to get the money back for him. If, if someone came in tomorrow and gave Tottenham 60 million quid, for example, they would take it in a heartbeat. But they're not going to get it. So the directive to us and to others is he's a Tottenham player and we see a future of him. Brilliant. Error. Uh, I want to come to you next as well because obviously it seems like they're in the documentary as well. They tried to do Ndombele dirty. Like we did, we barely saw him. We saw him like three times, and then one of the three times he was eating. So like it's clear that the club are Stop trying to troll this guy. They're trying to troll him badly, and I don't know what's going on here. But from your perspective, from your perspective, like who is the onus more on to sort of to sort of um, bend a little to, to to get the best out of this guy? Is it all um, down to him to sort of work his socks off? Or is there an element of Jose just having to literally accept the fact that he might be a maverick, but he might win you the matches? I think, I think it's a little bit of both. Like in, in some ways, it reminds me of Sun's first season. I'm not saying the, the play on the pitch, but I mean in that it, it wasn't spectacular. It wasn't fireworks. 
And sometimes it just takes that little bit of time to, to just settle in, to just get the style of play maybe. Maybe, like, sometimes I feel like when I see Ndombele play, like, sometimes when people say he looks lazy, I think Stephen Bowen looks a bit similar sometimes, but maybe a lot more of his things come off. I don't know if he just uh, clicks with some other players a bit more. Um, but it, it, I just think it's that kind of thing. It's just getting, getting that... Uh, connection with the players and I think it is going to be a little bit down to Mourinho to make sure that he gives him that environment to to I guess flower to just feel comfortable in to be able to get that run of play to get that run of games because let's face it if he doesn't get on the pitch or if he stays on the sidelines like this we're never going to get we're never going to get anything from him yeah I hear you um Cy Owen um I think I pretty much know your opinions on this as well but <laughs> Our best midfield because we hear, we see on Twitter all the time. Um, uh, several of our fans mm. be like, "Why are you still putting in Dumbly in your starting lineup? Like, why are you still putting him in your starting lineup?" Our strongest midfield right now. Does he does he make your does he make um one of the midfield free spots? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's mm-hmm. definite for me. Um, I think the main thing that that I've taken away. And we can only we can only assume what some of the other conversations that weren't aired in the documentary looked like. Um, but if that's Mourinho's style with players that could potentially be almost familiar with his style of man management through hearsay and things like that, imagine being a, a new signing who might not be totally acclimatized to the dressing room or the training methods or any of those things, and your manager comes in and says you're lazy or you worry me when you track back. If a conversation of that sort of uh, format came up with Ndombele, I can understand why maybe he wants to take a little bit of time and is feigning injuries and things like that. I mean, pretty much all of us, maybe bar Michael, have pulled a sickie here and there when we've not really <laughs> felt like our, like our managers have uh, been been speaking to us or managing us the way that we would like to. So... I do think the onus is on Jose to find a way to accommodate him. Um, I mean, we've, we've went the whole restart without him really getting any substantial minutes. And obviously, through the preseason games, they said he was injured and then he had COVID and all of this type of stuff. So I do think there is something a bit deeper in, in, in the background uh, that yeah. Jose is on the big bucks and he has to try and figure out either to accommodate him for our benefit or to increase his resale value. Yeah. Uh, Ohio, just before we move on to um, the next sort of points, i.e. Our, our remaining sort of transfer targets, I just wanted you to sort of summarise your views on, on some of the sections of our fan base who were attacking him for catching, COVID, for catching coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> he was, was getting attacked. Can you imagine? French squad he was getting it. attacked <laughs> for catching coronavirus. <laughs> I've I've seen our fan base go at players for you know not scoring goals <laughs> like Nando Lorente. I've seen them go at Pascal Chimbonda and Lee Young Kyo for not performing well. I've never seen a player get attacked for their immune system not doing bits. It, it's absolutely ridiculous. I just don't understand. Like you are allowed to dislike a player. That's fine. You are allowed to dislike their work ethic. That's also okay. Like what he he hasn't got the NHS in his chest. Like what would you want him to do? Like it was just, I think, I think there's parts of our fan base that just like being angry at stuff. Like, they, they can't be content with something happening. So, 
you know, when we got Hoybier done, which in respect of how open the, the transfer window was, was probably quicker than usual for us. Do you know what I'm saying? You know, when, when Joe Hart come in, yeah, Joe Hart's not, not going to win us the Prem, but homegrown, um, senior head in the dressing room, long neck, won the Prem. Like, there's pros and, there's pros and that. Like, people were finding a problem with Joe Hart as well. So I'm just like, I think a certain element of our fan base just like stress. Because I think as a Tottenham fan, growing up in school, you learn to take so much banter that now nothing should really stress you out that much. So I don't think someone who hasn't been able to play that much catching COVID should be raising people's blood pressure like this. And that is my take for that section of the fan base. I love that comment. Absolutely love it. Now, um... I'm not sure if you lot have actually had a had a listen yet. Um, I was listening briefly as well, but I think Owen, oh, me and you were discussing it. Last word on Spurs, they um they managed mm. to bag uh, Fabrizio in the bag, and um he was sort of discussing sort of the club's sort of key uh, objectives. He mentioned that the club are, are targeting a striker, a centre back, and a winger before um, the mm. winter closes as well. So. Um, I know we've we've spoken about this sort of topic sort of on and off over the past couple of weeks, but with the rumours on Josh King this week and then um, Glenn Murray going to Watford, which apparently sparked rumours that it, he could be Troy Deeney's replacement and stuff. Um, what is your general opinion? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's stressing me out. <laughs> what is your general opinion on who we can realistically sign out as a striker and? Forget about Cavani, forget about Suarez, all of these guys. Realistically, from the names that have been linked, who can we say that, who can we say can adequately come in and do a decent enough job? Realistically is a key word. Um, yeah, I will have to say for a striker, just for a striker only or just striker, for all yeah, the yeah. positions? Striker for now. Striker for now, realistically, I, I think Fabrizio, um, we're saying we're very likely to go for someone who's played in the Prem and whether they're still in the Prem now or they've just been relegated. It looks like we are strongly in for either Joshua King or Callum Wilson. I think those are the most realistic options at this point. Mm. What, what, what do you lot's thoughts on, on Josh King v Callum Wilson? Because I think we've spoken about it before. Um, but they're both sort of like 28 and above. Um, both obviously are at the relegated Swansea. I think Josh King's even got like a year left on his contract. What's your preference out of the two? Because it seems as if that's the direction in which the club are headed. I would I would side slightly with uh, Josh King. I, I rate him a bit higher than Callum Wilson as an all-round player. I think Callum Wilson, you'd favour him slightly if you're just looking for an out-and-out goal scorer. But I fancy Josh King as an all-round player. I still think he can get goals, but he can also play in other positions. He can drop in um, in between the lines in midfield and attack and play other people in because we do have players who do like to run in behind, sometimes a bit too close to the striker, but it is what it is. We can get someone that can play that role, especially with the fixture congestion as well. It's so imperative we do get a striker in very soon um but yeah that said josh king would would be my preference yeah so si i'm coming to you next now um fabrizio mentioned a center back and a winger a winger sort of surprised me because you'd think mm. a squad a squad like ours that's literally jam-packed with with um 
with players who can play out wide. Um, do you think the club are sort of misaligned in their priorities in those in, in that attacking position? Part part of why that makes sense to me is because I, I get the inkling feeling that if a striker doesn't get over the line, that Sun will firmly be our backup striker, especially based on the reps he got during the preseason. Um, I mean, we've all we've all complained about Lamella still being at the club, Lucas Mora filling spaces that the striker should feel fill. Uh, so. Again, getting somebody who can fulfill their role on that right-hand side especially is going to be quite important long-term. I don't think it's a top priority. I would like to see us get a centre-back because I don't, I don't see where Foyth or Tanganga will get the minutes that they, they'll need to develop at those positions. So, so yeah, um, where we look is, is, is a very difficult, a difficult one. Um, I know that we were linked with the inter centre back as like a part exchange for Endombele, and the standalone fee would be too high for us to spend. So again, we're probably going to dip into either a relegation team or somebody who's tried and tested in the Prem as a more short term option. But that's just my speculation. Um, yeah, anything could happen. Yeah, uh, Michael, um, I wanted to quickly come to you next as well. So, again, we need your sort of Sky Sports news here. Um, centre-back targets, because Sai alluded to it there. Um, we got fourth Tanganga in addition to Sanchez and Alderweireld and obviously Eric Dyer, who just signed a new... who, signed, who recently signed a new four, three- or four-year deal. So, um, what centre-back specifically have you sort of heard any sort of murmurs or, or, or rumours about because I thought the centre-back sort of, the centre-back news has sort of gone cold since that uh, South Korean centre-back who was initially linked at the start of the window as well. I just don't see how it's going to work with all the five options we have now and then bringing someone in. So what I'm really asking is, have you heard any sort of name, any other names on who's coming in? And have you actually heard on any news on terms of who's potentially going out? The only one I've heard is the South Korean defender, but then I'll, there was apparently a bit of sort of like agents sort of getting involved with that. So I don't know if that's even strictly the case. I've not heard any other names. I think what Jose's done, he's come in and he's made it a bit of a closed book. Um, a few of us, we were caught on the hop about Joe Hart. We weren't aware of Joe Hart. Hoybier is the one I was aware of last January that that was going to get done. Um, Southampton, from Southampton's side, they let us know. Spurs were like insisting that, no, you know, not the case, not the case, but proved to be the case and when he was having talks well Everton put in a bid and he just was not interested in going to Everton at all he had his heart set on Spurs um, Fabrizio has earned the right to have the reputation he's got he's, he's phenomenal you know he's got an amazing contacts book probably bigger than the yellow pages but um, <laughs> I, would, I would suggest that just because he says that Spurs are looking for three doesn't mean they'll get three I think what Spurs need desperately is another striker and I can't say that as a, as a fan and not journalist, King and Wilson don't excite me in the slightest. Um, I think Wilson's very injury prone, didn't have the best of seasons. Uh, and I'm not particularly a massive fan of King. I think what Tottenham need to try and do is realise that Harry Kane will probably get injured again at some stage in the season. And we, we've seen it season after season. When he gets injured, they're quite bad injuries. 
you know, and we need to remember our season looked over when Son got injured. So Spurs really need to sort that out. When he says winger, I'm trying to hope and think that Spurs will want that winger to have some real creativity, not yeah. necessarily pace. Someone who can play as a 10 as well, who can cut inside. Mm. Um, I think, I get the the good news for me is is that I get the impression that Jose knows who he wants and isn't overly panicking and they're just playing the game at the moment. I don't necessarily believe that it's strictly, oh, we've got to get rid of Aurier to get someone in because it's not a financial thing. I actually think it's more of a homegrown thing. I suppose I've got a bit of an issue there with the homegrown players. I think they've got 17 now, which is the limit for the Europa League. Um, so ideally, they want they'd want to get Aurier out, but when you know there needs to be some kind of coming together with the fee. But what I would say is, is that talking about like where does a defender fit in, for example, all we need to do is look at the most ridiculous fixture list in September. I just don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how it's going to get done. Players are going to get injured. Players could even get COVID. I I, I just this is the year where I'm scratching my head why there's Europa League qualifiers. Yeah. You know, we've got the Carabao Cup. We've got like early rounds in that. They're just going to have to say, look, one of the competitions, we're just going to have to say, look, the, the under-23s have got to play in it. Because yeah. you've seen it all, boys. We're playing every two or three days. You know, it's just not right. You know, and I, you know, I'm not saying now I can, I'd re-sort you away for out. But, you know, this is why the Europa League gets the criticism it receives, is that Arsenal end up winning an FA Cup final and it knocks Tottenham down so they've got to play three qualifiers. And, oh, guess what? They're all away. You know, it's just such a nightmare. Um, you know, you're going to get so many injuries at the start of the season. I just hope it doesn't come from Tottenham, obviously. And uh, so, yeah, I'm a bit worried, to be honest, at the start of the season. I really am. Yeah, um, I, think, I, think we, I think we all are, to be honest. Um, Ohio um, <clears throat> and Errol, just your thoughts on the potential sort of transfer targets that have been linked with our club as well. In addition to the centre-backs, the centre-back winger and striker requirement we've heard, there's news from Marca, aka the, the most unreliable Spanish <laughs> Spanish yes. source in history, saying that we've been offered like Regulon and, <clears throat> and obviously there's still murmurs from sections of the fan base about Coutinho. I, I just want to get some some thoughts from you lot on sort of realistic um, possibilities come the 5th of October like what what would you to expect come that day yeah. Era, I'll let you go first you know um, with all this winger talk and the way how things have gone quiet since like the end of last season I was thinking maybe Ben Rama might be a bit of a quiet one to get in um, I think he's got that ability to kind of play up front as well it would be a bit more on the realistic side I'm not sure how much it would cost but I'm, I'm sure it wouldn't be breaking the bank um, also as well I mean do you think he can make the step up though one sec on, on Ben Rama I, I like him I like him a lot but do you think do you think that he's someone who can come in and sort of belong like straight away basically I don't think he'd, he'd be changing the first team for example but, I mean, I think he would look at um, maybe some of the players in that front line and think that this is his chance and, and he could grab it by the throat. If he's, that, if he's got anything about him, I think he could get a place. Um, we're, we're seeing some players that, that we've all complained about 
Um, I don't want to name names, but we've all complained about certain players. Name names, bro. You see a couple of them behind me, like it's not. That's quality. Not naming any names. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's one of, he's definitely one for the future. It's just, one that I think less people are talking about, um, one that I think is a bit more realistic. Mm. Also thinking maybe, um, or was it talk about Zaniolo, was it? I don't, I don't know if that's likely or not. But uh, Romo have come out and said flat out he's not going anywhere this summer. But I've never really believed that, to be honest. I've never really truly believed that we were going to make a 50 million euro bid for Mm. He's just recently returned from like an ACL injury or MCL injury, something of the sort. Nah. Ohio? Me personally, um, with the centre back one, it's a bit conflicting because, like we've said, like we've got so many men that can play centre back. You know, there's there's at least five, you know, maybe six on a good day. Um, I would have, I've been a big Ben White fan for like the last two years, but. The way Brighton are playing hardball with Leeds, like we we can't even enter that conversation. I think they were they were trying to. I think he's me. just signed a new contract. Oh, well, there you go then. Yeah, like, yeah. Bright, he'll he'll do his thing at Brighton, and he'll get a big move probably in two years' time. Um, yeah. The screenier talk went a bit quiet as well. Um, I've never never seen him play in my life. I'm going to be honest, but I've heard heard good things. Maybe like a slightly more not too old but senior figure might have been better. Um, to like you know push Sanchez a bit more as well because obviously Toby's only got so much mileage left in the tank and then when it comes to the winger side obviously going back to Michael's point about we need someone with actually a bit more creativity as opposed to like just 1v1 or pace ability and you know we've got the homegrown stuff going on and I'm I'm going to re-push my Marcus Edwards agenda man there was that smoke a couple of a couple of days after restart you know I know we haven't heard much since like Marco, I have to ask you still when when the Marcus when the Mark when the Marcus Edwards talk started again was that literally just a couple Twitter Twitter highlights going around and everyone got a bit excited or was was there any sort of whisper because I know that the way he, the circumstances he left it was a case of like in a nutshell you guys don't really understand me so I'm gonna go do my thing elsewhere which which is fair enough when when it comes to a certain style of baller but did, does anyone Michael especially think that We've seen the way Mourinho is with certain players when he wants to get them on side. Like, is, do you think Edwards could be a Mourinho-type player eventually? Well, two things on that. That Tottenham, when they sell players of, of an age, like young players, they make sure that they get a significant sell-on fee. So, you know, the, the, the club Marcus Edwards went to probably aren't a very wealthy club. I think, secondly, Marcus Edwards deserves a huge amount of credit for going to another country and not going into the championship or league one. He's gone to another country, another culture, you know, you know, he, look, I heard some things about Marcus Edwards, you know, he needed a bit of growing up to do and, you know, got into a bit of trouble when he was younger, but look, God, you know, he's, he's young. He's a, he's, he's a kid really, essentially at the end of the day, we all make, we all do things we, we regret, you know? So I, I, I think I'm going to look at the positives here and I can see this guy has gone to another country. He's torn it up really. Uh, and then you've got Maurizio calling him mini Messi, which Maurizio in fairness did regret. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens in Marcus Edwards' future. Don't necessarily think he will be at Tottenham, but Spurs, I'm sure, are monitoring his progress over there. But where Marcus probably looks and thinks, I've got bad memories of Spurs, I don't think I want to go back there. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I know there was a couple of whispers after his great run of form. I think that was just... 
purely people putting two and two together and getting five just because obviously people were aware of the Tottenham's future sell-on fee and maybe some kind of buyback in his contract. But I don't think there was anything official there. Um, but yeah, on the subject of Edwards, I've got nothing but respect for the guy. Um, I think there was a lot to take on. I think we all got really excited by him, just 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 by how good he looks. Even in that cameo, I think it was against Gillingham a couple of years ago. But, oh, my God, what a player, you know? But to be a player uh, and to be the total package, you, you've got to have everything, haven't you? You've got to not just have it on your feet, you've got to have it up there as well. And sometimes up there can take longer than, than what, you, what you do on your feet. I mean, if you look at Phil Foden, for example, you know, he's got a lot of, experienced players around him in place that he can look up to and you know I don't know his home life and maybe he's got a better home life than another player you know there's so many factors that go into making the complete player I mean look at Ravel Morrison you know Sir Alex pulling Rio and, and Rooney to the side and going this guy's 10 times better than you two were but then as soon as it didn't work out for Ravel Morrison you try asking Sir Alex Ferguson why it didn't work out and he would throw you out of the room he, and he was upset about it, you know, and player, and managers have tried to get Ravel Morrison back, you know, like Chris Wilder signed him last summer. It just didn't happen. Um, that's why football can be such a cruel game. It can be so hit and miss. You've only got, you know, a 12-year shelf life. Who knows? But there's so much luck that so many things have to fall into place to be the successful player. And I hope for Marcus Edwards' sake, he can turn it around and come back to the player we saw that he could potentially be. Yeah, well said. Well said. Um, and with that, I think we can sort of end our sort of weekly transfer chat and actually mm. move on to the fact that we do have our last and fi- yeah our last friendly of the um, of our preseason for the for the season of our preseason sort of group of fixtures before the season officially starts on the twelfth of September. So um, we're up against Watford. Um, I think it's fair to say that this will probably be sort of the um the biggest indication of um of where our players are at because i know obviously they've been relegated but we are facing as close to premier league opposition as it gets now in in Watford as well um i'm going to start with you Sai, as well um i just wanted to sort of get your thoughts on what you're sort of who what or who you're looking forward to seeing um against Watford on the saturday mhm uh, I expect to see more of the same. To be fair, um, in terms of guys like Ali just getting up to up to speed, Sun getting up to speed again. Um, the most interesting one for me is whether or not Jack Clark will get back on the pitch because he's not shown very much in the cameos that he's had. Um, I did find it quite interesting that we fielded so many sixteen-year-olds, especially considering the fixer conge- congestion and things like that you would sort of expect to see some of the players that were further along in their development because they're going to be likely needed uh, during that running. Um, as, as Michael touched on with the Europa League and the, the League Cup games, we're going to have to make some sacrifices in terms of selection in at least a couple of those games. Um, I do want to see him decide on where Jetson and... Sess and Young are going to play. Um, using two guys as sort of auxiliary fullbacks and then playing them further forward doesn't really do much for us to get a good, a good idea of where they fit long-term in the team. Uh, so I do want to see at least one or two of those players sort of nail down an actual position as opposed to just being thrown 
here, there and everywhere over the course of a game. Mm. Uh, I'm going to come to you next, Owen. Um, mm. So the, what, the, the friendly on, on Saturday, um, are you expecting Mourinho to employ a similar shape? Are you expecting to go free at the back? Who's, 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 who are you looking forward to seeing and what sort of, what sort of flexible formation are you looking to see him sort of employ? Because I feel like, yeah. I feel like with the season starting um, in just what, under a week or whatever, um, I feel like this is sort of his last opportunity to sort of make a final opinion on quite a lot of fringe players who will be looking to actually make um, some appearances in our hellacious sort of fixture pile-up um, <laughs> the, the week after the next. So, what are you sort of looking forward to the most? Indeed. Um, I do want to see Doherty kind of get a nice run out and see how he fits into the shape of the squad. However, um, we've spoken about it on this podcast in many a time, how we would like to see the flip of the lopsided fullbacks and Sessegnon gets that license. In particular, I'd like to see how, um, how he does in that role, how much Mourinho trusts him defending. I'd also like to see how much he trusts some of the younger players who have done well in these pre-season friendlies and whether they will be trusted to play Europa League games or some even Carabao Cup games. Um, Harvey White and Dennis Shirkin, I haven't watched any of the full games, I have to be honest. I've only caught the highlights, but they've in particular been impressing from what I've seen. So I'd like to see you know, how they do, at least in the final game. And see how they would kind of be employed going into our actual competitive games. Yeah. Um, Ohio, I wanted to quickly touch on probably one for you and Michael as well, to be honest. I think it's ridiculous that we have our final sort of pre-season match, but at the same day or on the same day, England are playing a, a Nations League match against, um, I can't even remember who, who England are playing, but it's daft to me that Harry Kane is he hasn't even kicked the ball for us in pre-season, but yet he's going to lead out the England team on on Saturday. Uh, what are your thoughts on this whole sort of international nations league? Like, surely they should have just scrapped. They should have just scrapped this 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 um, tournament format for for at least this season per se. I think, Marco, if you don't mind me going first, just quickly, I think that. On the one hand of the Nations League being there, if we're talking specifically about Kane's involvement, I think I think it probably has crossed Southgate's mind to maybe not play him as much as he would have wanted to, because I think it's a bit I think we have to look at man's injuries record and we ha- he has to be looked after. You know, he's had too many major injuries um for somebody at his age and supposed to be entering his prime and stuff. Um so I do I have to give I think I'm gonna give Southgate a little bit of leeway because there's probably a couple of pressures. Um, from the powers that be that the England captain has to play. Do you know what I mean? So there's that. Um, but then on the flip side, just in one sentence, I think the nation's league just should have been scrapped 100%. I think player, I think player welfare, it's a big conversation in rugby at the moment. I don't think player welfare is as big as a conversation as it should be in football at the moment, especially with everything going on. That's just my quick take on that one. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with Ahaya. I mean... You know, you've still got the Euro, Euro playoffs. You've got the World Cup qualifiers. Um, I know the Nations League is trying to make internationals more competitive. And if you win your Nations League group, you can get into the World Cup playoffs. And like the last Nations League, you can get into the Euro playoffs. But 
as you say, I mean, look, the season coming up is going to be so condensed. I mean, I, I really fear for all players. I just can't. I just there's going to be so many injuries. Everyone doing fantasy football teams, you know, there's going to be so <laughs> many chops and changes. And uh, you know, we've seen before that like, he really, really, really relies on Harry Kane, Gareth Southgate, not just as a captain, but as a, as a guy, you know. And there's been times where I've just been screaming at the telly boys. They're like, "Oh my God, England are sixteen up, and the Harry Kane's still in the <laughs> yeah. right? It's just crazy, you know. And I just, I the problem with Harry is he he loves it as well, but his body doesn't, you know. And he he's got to start you know, adapting, you know, you know, his hamstring's not going to be the same again. His ankles aren't going to be the same again. What I would like to see from this game against Iceland that he does play 90 minutes or, or, or eight or 75 because he doesn't need it. Um, the Watford game's a weird one, really, because we've got so many players away. I mean, it's, it's essentially going to be a mixture of under-23s and fringe players, really, because even Sessions with the under-21s, people like that, you want to see get a game. Yeah. So, I don't really get this game, if I'm completely honest with you. I don't get the timing of it, but... I'm not. That's not Tottenham's fault. It's just, it's just a really weird time of the season. It's, I just don't see why there's internationals at the moment. Yeah, I agree. Um, mm. I, I, I fully agree. I fully agree. Um, Era. Um, I wanted to sort of come to you, sort of just to, just to round up, really and truly. Um, so based on what we've seen so far um, on each of the pre-season sort of fixtures, who would you say has impressed you the most, and who? would you want to see sort of more of um, provided they're available? Because as my, as Michael's mentioned, um, you've got Bergwijn off an international duty. I think Sonny's off on international duty. Kane, Dyer, the lot, all on international duty as well. So, I mean, from the list, from the list of players available, um, who would you say has impressed you so far during pre-season and sort of practically sort of stamped their spot in, um, in the starting lineup for, against Everton? I mean, I think the most obvious one is probably Son. Like Son's, Son's been our star performer. Um, I think Sessignon would do well against Everton if we play a bit more attacking, like we played in the first half uh, of the first friendly. I can't remember who it was right now. Um, and I mean, going into who is available for the next game, that's I find that like really hard. Like, I guess the, the nailed on person is Lamella, like, we're almost certain to see him feature. <laughs> he was even, he was watching the friendly when his, his child was born, wasn't he? Yeah. he just loves it. Like, you could, he's, he's that guy, like, he loves football, man. Um, what about um, Swift, probably uh, for Ali? What about Ali as well? Yeah, Ali. I mean. I think it's almost like it's now or never for Ali. Like um, I think things will, will start to glue, will start to glue for him. I think um, I can see the things he's trying. I really liked it. Uh, I did watch the first game in four, and like I, I thought, Delhi had a really good game. Like he 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 was trying the things that I want him to try. So hopefully it all comes together, and we can see something happen when we uh, kick off the season against Everton as well. Um, two two people I haven't really seen much of that I wanted to see um, probably Lasoso, and I wanted to see a bit more of Sanchez as well just to see where he is at the moment. So if they're available, it'll be good to see them. Yeah, brilliant. Well, I think that's sort of it for sort of our our key sort of talking points as well. So I think um, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to share maybe sort of like one or two listener questions and then we'll sort of wrap up. So. Uh, I think the first one, sort of for you, Michael, um, 
I'm not sure which one to pick actually because there's some that are so like obvious as well. Um, really, just before you start, I've got one from um, Kim Woodgate uh, or at CBFA2020. She's probably not going to listen to this, but she says that she loves you, Michael, and you're not on TV as much as you should be. So that's from Kim. <laughs> that's very nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, uh, I think the first one is a point we were talking about um side before we started so i think for you for you sir and for you uh michael as well can spurs win a trophy under jose Mourinho? i think i i genuinely think we can there's no reason why we couldn't um i think this this squad has come close enough for that belief to be there and jose has the pedigree to suggest that he does tip the scale for teams um, the one worry for me, and it's been the worry since we started this pod, is the amount of fixtures that we have. Without Europa League, I was pretty confident that we would be able to sort of escalate up the table quite quite rapidly, um, just because everybody else is going to suffer from fixture congestion. Uh, whereas now we're in the exact same boat that we have been in the past with even more um, pressure and even less time between games. So um, I think we can, but it won't be one of the trophies that we are really, really first in for. So we might get a League Cup and it will be 2008 all over again. Probably lose Harry Kane in the summer, but there we go. God forbid, but yeah. Uh, Michael, I think the next one is probably for you. Um, There are a few questions on backup strikers and whatnot, but we've already spoken about that. But this one's a bit sort of left field. And I think this this person who's asked it is obviously targeting your sort of Crystal Palace orientated sort of line of work. And they've asked, are Crystal Palace going to sign a striker this window? Why would you ask that on a, on a, Spurs, sort of, <laughs> on a Spurs sort of podcast? But um, <laughs> there you go. So I think it's probably one that um, they want you to answer. Well, they're certainly trying. Um, like Christian Benteke is just not scoring and you know they're quite weak going forward. So they've signed Eze and they're going to try and sign a striker. But the the, the, the annoying thing for Palace is, is that Sorloff, who they loaned out last year to Trabzonspor, is now wanted by Leipzig as the replacement for Timo Werner. Yeah. Because the contract gives... So Trabzonspor can sign Sorloff or a, a, a set fee, then Trabzonspor can sell Sorloff to Leipzig for 25 million and Ooh. Palace only get about four or five million. So wow. it's going gonna, it's gonna to absolutely kill Palace wow. fans. But obviously, when they loaned him to Trabzonspor, they just wanted to get rid of him. Like, you know, take him on a two-year loan, you know, and you can buy him at any point for five million. And they're like, yeah, 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 no problem. And then all of a sudden, he's doing absolute bits. And Leipzig are coming in, and Palace are like, what's going on? So that, for me, could be one of the most interesting, eye-catching transfers of the summer. Mm. Um, yeah. So I broke that a few weeks ago on Sky and um, it's a very, very complex situation, but it's one that is logical because Trabzonspor can then buy him and then sell him to Leipzig straight on. But whether it's still going to happen, I don't know. But yeah, yeah I mean, I think, I think everyone's trying to do business, aren't they? I mean, you know, Wolves haven't even signed anyone yet. So I think they, Doherty, they've sold, but they thought they were going to get Ashley Maitland-Niles and all of a sudden he's been picked for England and then, uh, you know, he's going to, he's, he, he could be Arsenal's right back all of a sudden. But on the trophy question, I mean, it's, it's interesting because everyone keeps saying to me, like, I just don't get where the logic here is. Well, Spurs, you know, they can easily win the Europa League. Like, 
the people know how many games there are in the Europa League. I mean, it's the biggest slog in football, you know. And when you add to all our qualification games, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna go all out for Europa League, don't expect to come in the top four. Just yeah. rule it out now. It's not gonna happen. You can't do it. They're human beings. They can't play Thursday, Sunday, then Tuesdays, Wednesdays in cups. It's just it can't happen. So it's an either or. And you can who's you know who's to say you're not going to get a not Seville but someone like Seville and just get knocked out again. You know these Spanish sides or whatever. You know if we if we're talking about trophies as just a trophy just to get off Arsenal fans taking the Mickey out of us all the time. If, you know it would be the League Cup, wouldn't it? Because it's only six games. You know and. You might get five home draws from teams in the Championship and League One. You know, draws are so important. But as I've said, if it's good enough for Pep, it should be good enough for other teams as well. A trophy's a trophy. But, you know, yeah, that's, that's my take on trophies. If, if, I mean, Mourinho won the Europa League and League Cup double at, at an average Van United team. So he can certainly do it with Spurs, yeah. Okay, I mean, just, Toby, just a quick one. Um, I had a question about Doherty, and I think, Era, you said in the chat you had an NFL-related question. A couple of us were just wondering or just coming up with theories and conspiracies. How the hell did we get that guy so cheap? Like, we genuinely don't understand it at all. Like, do you... Do you like, I mean, like, like I said, we had a lot of ideas floating about whether it's a case of it was like a loyalty thing, that he'd been there so long, and Wolves are like, you know, we're not going to stand in your way, we'll get a reasonable fee... Or this is a case of, you know, that we thought they were quite certain that they were going to get Maitland-Niles and maybe that's why they let him go and that's not going to happen. Or if they had someone else, I know they got linked to some other guy. So, I don't know, do, do you have a thought as to how we managed to get him for, in, my, in our eyes, quite cheap? Is that to me? Or? That's to you, yeah. Sorry. All right, sorry. Um, yeah, I mean, you're right. Um, the only thing I would say is, is that, like, he is 28. So, I mean, I know it sounds ridiculous, but he's not, he's not young, young anymore. So... He's not going to... Spurs probably won't make a profit on him, if you know what I mean. He's, all, um, he's also... Um, I think you're right on the loyalty thing. I, I think you're right. Also, his new agent is Jorge Mendes, who is Mourinho's best friend, who's also helped transform Wolverhampton Wanderers with a plethora of players over the last few years. There might be a little that my client wants, wants Doherty and, you know, I've given you a lot. I've given you Matinho, helped you get all these guys... I, you know, there's a lot. There could be a lot of that into that as well. And also, as I say, I think Wolves were looking to probably be close to signing Maitland Niles, and that's that's not going to happen now. So that's three things that might have filtered into that. You know, twenty-eight, not English, because if he was English, he'd probably be double. But twenty-eight, um, the fact that he's got the same agent as Jose, and this agent has done a lot of good things for Wolves in the last three years. Uh, Michael, last question. Um... I guess uh, watching a documentary, um, they made like sort of a big deal about the second pitch and like the aspirations for what was going to happen next season or in the upcoming season. Uh, just wanted to know if you think our financial situation, like going ahead with transfers and things, will be adversely affected by the fact that we probably won't use the stadium for NFL in the foreseeable future. Yeah, I think it's a, a really easy one to answer, quite a damning one. Like Tottenham, the financial figures we were all given were that. They were getting the, like the best figures in the league. You know, the income we were getting, the Champions League final, everything was just going so well. You know, Manchester City in the quarter final, I think they got 3.8 million in revenue just by ticket sales and everything. You know, like every all the money was coming back. You know, and you had Tottenham, you know, waiting for uh, the sponsorship deal that they wanted to sponsor the stadium, the naming rights. There was no rush. 
They're like, come to us, come to us. You know, you, the stadium just is jaw dropping. And all of a sudden you've got this worldwide global pandemic where you've got Anthony Joshua cancelled, nine rugby games, three NFL games, um, rock concerts. And so Tottenham, I, I honestly believe Spurs are one of the worst affected clubs with COVID. Um, that doesn't mean to say it won't recover, but it will take a, a bit of time to recover. But that doesn't mean there's no money. Like yeah. I don't believe that. And they can't, you know, there'll be no statements. And I, it won't wash with me that in the season after, well, you know, there's no money. There is money. Look at Everton. They're spending over 100 million this week. You know, they, they've still got the TV money. They've still got the Premier League money. There's overseas TV money. They're still getting money. But that stadium was was supposed to help with the revenue. Now it's it's taken a significant hit because of what you said. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think Spurs have been hit by it quite considerably. And, you know, um, given Spurs' financial figures, if you look at them in sort of February time when they came out, they were the best in the league in terms of the revenue and expected revenue with the ground. And now it's just kind of gone the other way. Yeah, well, hopefully um, the hope is that the world gets to some some level of new normal where we do have a, a treatable well, a treatable cure and fans can actually get back into stadiums because obviously I think, like you said, that is the sort of the biggest blocker to um, Tottenham sort of transfer kitty and just our, our, our funds in general. And I think with that, I think we can sort of bring uh, the podcast to a close. Uh, Michael, thanks so much for joining us today. It's been pleasure. a pleasure. pleasure. I hope you've enjoyed you. chatting to us and yes, great. Um, and answering our questions as well. Um, supporting cast were brilliant as always. Ohio, Era, uh, Sai and um, Owen. Although for a second there, Owen was doing his own thing, moving his camera about and whatnot as well. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's been it's been really good um and if you're still listening as well make sure to check us out on touchline underscore spurs um at twitter as well and just stay tuned for more um content as well but uh with that we'll see you um soon take care Afraid to take on a shot and with good reason. Terry in the Burnley back line and Son breaks forward. Oh wow, what a run! Yemin Son from inside his own half has scored one of the best goals of his Spurs career. There's more to working from home than emails. So you need Wi-Fi with reliable speed, the most in-home coverage, and built-in security. You need Xfinity XFi. That's simple, easy, awesome. Switch to Xfinity Internet and learn about our great offers. You'll get amazing value with speeds that deliver and reliable coverage you can count on. And with XFi Advanced Security, you can keep all the devices in your home connected and protected from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store to learn more today. Restrictions apply. Sports Social Podcast Network.